What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's the answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined as always by Sirit Sohi. What's up, Sirit? How's it going, Chris? Oh, you know, it's tough being the heliocentric lead of, of a podcast. You know what I mean? Where the offense mm-hmm. is kind of built around my skill set. That's what we're talking about today on the answer. We're discussing this idea of, uh, I guess, basically whether or not there is a best player in the NBA right now. Uh, There are a lot of great players in the NBA, and there's a lot of guys who have a claim to the throne. But I've been thinking about this idea a bit. You know, we've been chatting about it, and I've been watching a little bit of the screeners for the HBO show Winning Time, which is this uh, show about the 1980s Lakers. It's a really cool show. People should check it out. I think it's on this weekend. But the reason why I bring it up is because, obviously, it's this point in the NBA where it was kind of in the wilderness, And then Magic and Bird come in and revolutionize not only the sport, but also like the brand of the NBA and and make it this kind of global phenomenon. And since then, there have been a succession of, I would say, it's like regardless of who wins MVP in any given year or who might be considered the best player in the league in any given season, there's been a succession of, I would say, almost like logo level players, like the player that you would tell if you say to somebody, do you like basketball? they would probably be like, yes, I like this player. Or if you were trying to explain basketball to an alien, you'd probably be like, you should watch Michael Jordan or you should watch Kobe Bryant or you should watch LeBron James and that would give them an idea of what basketball is like at any given point. And now we arrive at this place where we have half a dozen, eight, maybe 10 guys who all have like a shout at being the MVP of this season. 
we are watching LeBron, who has essentially been the avatar for the NBA for the last 15 years, candidly look like he's in a bit of decline. And we're wondering, like, who's next? Who's going to take that spot? Will anybody take that spot? Is the game engineered for someone to take that spot? And in terms of player movement, you know, does this constant shuffling of the rosters that happens in the NBA pretty commonly now mean that we're not going to ever really have like a guy who is associated with the team who builds something, has a system built around him, they put together a roster around him, and then he wins a succession of titles, thus like kind of putting his stamp on that era. Obviously, LeBron has done that over the last 15 years in in several different places, but not in the way Bird did with Boston or Magic did with LA or Jordan did with Chicago or Kobe did with LA. So that's a long way of saying we're talking about who's the best player in the league and is there one. And sir, the way you wanted to kind of get into this was almost like looking at it tactically and, and this idea of heliocentric basketball, which was kind of new to me. And so I thought maybe we could start with, can you explain a little bit about what heliocentric basketball means? Yeah, for sure. So it's essentially the idea that there are offensive players now in the league and, and Seth Part now actually coined this, I think two years ago uh, or three years ago now. Um, he wrote an article uh, at The Athletic about it, if anybody wants to really dig into it. And, 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 and in that time, there have also been a lot of people who have built on the idea, too. Like, I think Ben Taylor for Thinking Basketball is one of the guys who's, who's talked about it in a really interesting way. But essentially, it is what we see all around the league right now with, uh, with superstar players. We have guys who are incredible scorers, uh, three-level scorers, that are also really good playmakers. And what that is essentially done is it's allowed one person to become basically the sun in in the solar system of of uh, of an NBA uh, possession. Um, if you want to look at it from a visual perspective, I think the most effective example of this right now is Nikola Jokic, um, just hanging hanging out either at the top of the key or in the middle, and a whole bunch of guys literally like like the, the Earth and Mars and like whatever are, are revolving around him. Whether it's a dribble handoff. Or they're they're making cuts, or there's like other screen, off-ball screening action happening, and he is basically just standing above all of it and seeing either who he's going to pass to, or you know if he's going to decide to to take the onus on himself. This kind of applies to Le- LeBron is probably the originator of it, just with organically how he played. Um, and Trey Young and Luka Doncic, just basically these guys who are impossible to cover, and also you don't necessarily want to double them either because they can get the ball out of their hands pretty quickly. So, yeah, that's it's, it's kind of just a league that we're in. There are not that many players or systems that succeed at this level that go against it. I would say the Warriors are probably one of them, and, and the Suns on another level are probably one of them too. Do you think that, and we're, we're just chatting about this here, but like, do you think that this idea of a heliocentric player while it is not new because LeBron did it, you could probably make an argument that Magic did it or that, that Jordan was in this kind of vein. You have seen some Lakers games lately <laughs> live. Yes. And you've also apparently been see- watching these screeners, which you, you haven't sent to me, but whatever. We'll talk about that later. What would you say is like the comparison and the contrast between Magic and LeBron and, and, and this concept? Well, I think that Magic was probably more of a facilitator than LeBron is. I mean, like in sort of sort of like his positional responsibilities, like LeBron is at once a four and a one and can play a five, but can also be a three. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I always felt like, especially once he got to Miami, like LeBron was like an offense unto himself. And that has kind of continued on since throughout his his career. 
the magic stuff, I think he was essentially still in what the early part of this winning time show kind of gets into is whether or not magic is a point guard because he's so tall. And it's this tension between the Lakers had Norm Nixon at the time, who was like kind of an archetypal floor general. And this idea that a six foot nine point guard is just like absurd to Jerry West and to the league. And it's like, how is he going to dribble? It bounces so high because he's so tall. He'll just get the ball stolen off of him. So, I mean, obviously the game has changed a lot since then. So I, I went to this Lakers game on Tuesday night. I got to see... I got to see the Luca show. It, in the beginning, it seemed like he might score 60 points and have 25 rebounds, but he did kind of come back down to earth for part of the game until the fourth quarter when he just went completely into kill mode and was, I think now infamously, like calling for LeBron on switches. Like he was, he was switching onto LeBron to remove his soul from his body. And I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but it's kind of hard to imagine like the Lakers season going on from there. Like it was, it was a real like test of, mm-hmm. of the Lakers medal and they, they didn't pass it. And then they also got smoked by the Clippers uh, last night. But yeah, like watching that Luca offense and his ability to see over and pass over his initial defender or whoever he had switched onto him, his ability to get his shot, like you said, both uh, from distance and also taking contact and getting into the rim and also with this crazy mid-rim drive and kick uh, game that he has where he can pull up for a jumper or he can find Dinwiddie or Dorian Finney-Smith or Jalen Brunson or now the seemingly like endless amount of shooters that Dallas has. It was a very much like that that astronomical phenomenon that you're describing uh, with with the, like everybody revolving around Luka. And it was almost like watching a page turn in the NBA of LeBron's time kind of like winding down a little bit. But I went to two games in last week and both. It was the first Clippers game and then it was the Mavericks game. It seems like LeBron's got like eight, nine really good minutes in him per night. And he can kind of be, you can look up and be like, oh, LeBron's got 15. He's having a good game. But it doesn't feel like he's putting his stamp on the game. And then he takes over. But there is a tank now. Like he has a gas tank and the gas tank will go empty at a certain point, and that's where the ADs and the Russes probably needed to be able to prop things up, and they're just not doing that. Like, I would say both times I've seen the Lakers, LeBron's best stretch comes while Russ has ice bags wrapped around his knees on the bench. So, tough scene. But yeah, like, it definitely felt like we were watching some kind of transitional period for the NBA. Yeah, when Luka came in, I think it was in the third quarter, and just ran from the top of the key uh, to get a putback dunk that was the stuff that LeBron used to do you know if he got if he was upset or if he just felt like you know it would be it would often come in these moments where his teams really needed a run that just looked like vintage LeBron to me and there were there were a number of different things I remember watching that game and just being like LeBron you can't let LeBron go left right like, you can't do that we've we've all we've known that for a really long time but yeah you're you're absolutely right like he looked tired he looked tired, and I think we've hit like an all-time. Po- well, there was a point where he asked for a sub. I think very briefly in the fourth quarter. I don't know if that was because he was tired. It looked like maybe he had like a shoelace thing going on. I'm not really sure. Uh, but he, there's like there's just a little bit more walking going on. There's a little bit more cherry picking where he doesn't go down on defense and then is like yeah. hanging out by the basket or like on foul shots. He'll like he'll be down on the other end, like waiting by himself. And I'm like, this isn't. LeBron I know kind of yeah which you can't do when you're playing the five and you're also sharing the four with like Malik Monk Westbrook and and Carmelo Anthony at the same time like we've hit also an all-time point for like LeBron making defensive mistakes and then just looking around like the amount of times that like Powell caught a lob 
and LeBron just looked at somebody else like, dude, you're the five, actually. Like, you're the role man. And right. you're also, like, the only person who is tall enough and athletic enough to get up there on those. There was a cool moment where I was watching because I was watching a little bit higher up. And you could kind of see the issue with LeBron playing free safety and Russ playing free safety. Mm. And neither of them really kind of, like, sticking to their guy. And I was like... Luka Doncic is on the floor. They're going to find the dude you're supposed to guard, man. You can't you can't drift and try and help weak side on this. I'm not Coach Tibbs, but I can see this. It's pretty brutal out there for the Lakers. Um, I caught most of that Clippers game, but there's also... There's a thing with these late games where I feel like, for me personally, I just need the game to be engaging for me to be engaged. Um, and that, that Lakers game was just not. And it looked like it could be for a brief moment. Like, that... That's the thing with the Lakers. Like they had all these moments this season where it looked like, oh my god, like this could really be like Lob City 2.0, like get going in transition. Like that se- that second half or that second quarter run that they made to bring the game close it was like, okay, like we're getting somewhere, but they just don't play any defense. Like yeah. you just can't let like guys get off for threes like that. It's just impossible. But yeah, it was it was really interesting to watch that sort of changing of the guard and every single time. I feel like every week. The reason I really even wanted to talk about this is that. You know, MVP is now getting to a place where it's it's March. Um, we got to start thinking about like who the vote goes to. Right, because we usually start, and now like in the last couple of seasons, we've started talking about MVP like in November, October, yeah, yeah October, pre-season. November, <laughs> yeah. which is obscene. And we usually we we did not do that when I was like growing up. Like you would just mm. kind of find out at the end of the year, like oh, Tim Duncan won again. Okay, right. But yeah. now it's like a- after two weeks, it's just like is this guy in pole position? It would be hard to take him over. And it's like almost like an election. Yeah. Is that a gambling thing, you think? Um, I think it's a gambling thing. It's a content thing. I think it's like mm. it's like a good way to like kind of talk about a league that's difficult to cover every game and every team. But like if you if you want, you can kind of I do think it's interesting how there are a couple of dudes who start in the top five, you know, like Durant, Curry, Jokic, and to some extent Embiid are always going to kind of like have that head start because of their name recognition and past performance. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like the DeMars and the jaws who are probably like trying to break into that group but have just as good of a case you know what i mean yeah i think that's a good point luca was a preseason favorite it it seemed like luca had really enjoyed himself over the summer so he didn't come into the season looking at his best yeah i mean you know you know he had he had some games to win in in europe and you know probably some other stuff to do in europe too (laughs) right um (laughs) joel Embiid was second then you had kd uh, Giannis and and Curry pr- pretty much like at the same level. And then you had LeBron, Dame, then Jokic who won last year was somehow I guess like you got to factor in the voter fatigue, but he wasn't. He was eighth. Um, then you got Book, Trey, Harden, and AD. Now you got to throw in like you said, Demar and 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 Jaw onto that list. Um, you take out take out a couple guys as well, but it's becoming impossible to figure out who the MVP should be. And by that same token, like I think it's becoming harder to be like, well, who's who's the best player then? Right. And that's where I think heliocentrism might be the actual answer to why we're seeing some of this. Because it only it only kind of follows naturally that if you put a really talented player in a position where their skill set is going to be maximized. Now some of these players have been playing with the same teammates for so long that they're their teams have figured out how to best build around them or they're figuring out like the like like the the Mavericks are with uh with trading for Spencer that those players stats would be incredible because they're getting the ball a ton too like kind of thinking back to the Magic Johnson thing 
his job was to facilitate and also to set up the best scorer on the team. Hypothetically, LeBron should have been able to do a similar thing with AD this season. He hasn't been able to, but that is a very different sort of job than as a point guard than um, you know what we're we're seeing from like Luca or Jokic or Trey. Yeah, I almost feel like this this idea that you're proposing and and that Seth and other people have written about in the past. This heliocentric idea is like a new version of uh, unicornism, you know, mm. which was very much in fashion when Kristaps and Towns and AD were kind of coming into the league and this idea in Embiid and like we've never seen big men who can also play make or handle or shoot from outside like this with this like post Chris Bosch facility of like the, the extending the floor at the, that size. But the way you're describing it, and it doesn't necessarily mean like you have to be a certain size like Luca is. Like you, you can be a Trey Young kind of more traditional point guard size or even undersized. But it's it, it's that idea that you you have to have like an offense revolving around you, and that your threat is I can go for forty one, but I can also have fifteen assists, right? Yeah, and I do wonder if size actually might be a bit of an issue. So the Hawks and Bulls played last night. Um, they've played they played twice this week, I believe, or they played earlier last week. We had a lot of little baseball series going yeah, on. In the NBA. We yeah, have, yeah, we have, we have. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. It is fun. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I I really I really like seeing like the matchup differences and everything. Um, we can get into like that a little bit with the Warriors and Mavs, but the Hawks versus Bulls game was really interesting to me because well, it was for Demar, Demar was coming off of. Um, he had a game against Memphis, which was probably his m- most uncharacteristic game of the season. He was just incredibly frustrated all game. Um, it seemed like pretty much from the first quarter. So maybe it wasn't even like an on-court thing. Who who knows? But essentially, like it got to a place of, you know, the, the Grizzlies are just, they bother everybody, right? Like they're, they're very frustrating. And then on the other end, like nobody could guard jaw and you need rim protection against Ja, and the Bulls just don't have it, and there's very little they could actually do about it. And DeMar, basically, what I've noticed from watching him is that the more frustrated he gets, the more tunnel vision he gets, which is why I do worry about reversion in the playoffs for him. Like, I don't think necessarily, like, people, you know, when he was in Toronto, people said it was about pressure, right? But I think it's actually just a frustration of a really physical defense. Um, And he's definitely grown in that regard but he just kind of like he just had one of those games in Memphis and then then against the Heat they they held him to 18 and they're also another incredibly frustrating defense and then on the other end with the Hawks like you've just got kind of it's it's been the Trey show um and he's also having an incredible individual season but the Hawks are 10th and I really I don't know I really enjoyed watching these two guys play against each other because I feel like on some level they have similar issues but also similar strengths um like JJ Redick a couple weeks ago on his podcast was talking about DeMar being a playoff proof player because of his mid-range game and how you know he's going to be able to get off the shot that nobody wants to give you um and I, th- I think on some level like that that could definitely end up being true but that also makes me think more about Trey than it does DeMar because he's also got all the other stuff but at the same time it's like you can get you can trap him better and he has got a huge passing bag and you know he the wrap rounds are incredible but as the league just gets more and more you know like we're kind of going back to having bigger players on the floor again like I, I do wonder how that'll hold up but all of that is really just to say that th- those are two teams that I look at and I'm like more so the Hawks like what if you get into the playoffs 
Bulls are obviously in the playoffs, but if you get into the playoffs, it, you, they're kind of a wild card because of how unguardable Trey can be in those situations. But at the same time, you know, his usage is up two points this year. He's taking three more shots this year. And it's not necessarily been in service of the Hawks offense or, you know, or the, Haw- the, the Hawks winning really, or their growth or their whatever like we we've talked about this it's like it's it's good for trey but it has remained it's yet to be seen whether it's gonna be good for the hawks well i do i wonder if it's good for trey like like i'm sure trey Trey probably is playing the way that he thinks he has to play or you know just kind of growing his game right um and they are missing john collins right now as well but it got me thinking a little bit about the dark side of of this stuff of being a being the sun yeah being the sun the dark side of the sun which is an unknown pink floyd record you know very under- <laughs> to, yeah yeah you know because then you can just build a wall that's right <laughs> that's right but like what do you mean i mean so it's like basically like if you're relying on one person to be the offense right yeah so la- last year you know if it- it's it's always a bit of a catch at 22 last year trey got hurt in the playoffs and the Bucks ended up making the finals. Now maybe the Bucks make the finals anyway, um, if Trey doesn't get hurt. But at the same time, it's like if Trey isn't driving into trees for three playoff series and having to go up against like Drew and Chris Middleton and then you know meet Giannis like either at the rim or like try to hit a floater over him, then you know I you never want to say maybe he doesn't get hurt, right? Because like we have this weird thing about injuries where we pretend everything is so random, but like let's let's be real, like usage matters and all all those all those things, right? And I don't know, it just it it makes me kind of think about the Sixers, um, and Harden. Think about it as much as you want. I'm, I'm like the perfect conversation yeah. partner for this t- subject. I feel like we can actually earnestly talk Sixers now without you know we having to to move on to something else, which I'm excited to do, but it's uh it's Watching him in, come to uh, come to Brooklyn and then to Philly and take this sort of, I'm going to be way more of a point guard and facilitator role. It feels like he learned something from from Houston. I should hope so. I mean, he was there for quite a while. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> his last season in Houston, basically, obviously, as we all know, he he dribbled and shot and passed the ball. A lot it was in his hands a ton um and there wasn't a lot of movement in an offense and it, it with the nets we saw a different evolution of that where he was obviously just playing with more stars but now in philly there's just so much more movement in that offense because it's also dedicated to getting another guy really involved too in joel Embiid, and it's been really fun to watch but it's also it's i feel like it's a really big blessing for both of these these guys to just not have to do all this and they are also at the point in their career where they probably understand that and I've seen a little bit from Trey in the last like two weeks and kind of makes me like he's it's just like this is these aren't really like the types of things that I guess like you can see in stats but it feels like he's definitely had some like tunnel vision performances like that first game against the bulls the bulls just like they used they used io and and javante green to just basically lock him down in the perimeter and he fell into it right and it's a little bit make or miss he made he made some of those shots but he also was facilitating way more early in the game and i think he's getting the ball out of his hands faster and letting guys like hunter and herder 
and Bogey get like get a couple moves in before they shoot. Essentially, you and Wise are perennial optimists when it comes to the Hawks this year. I it's just like I'm just not seeing it. I'm incredibly frustrated by this team, but they're still really talented. I don't necessarily look at myself as a Hawks optimist because if you that's funny actually because I come I, I have I, this is a, this is a pretty optimistic take when I watch them. It is not like that at all. (laughs) I will say this about them. I I have not watched the Hawks as much this season as I did last season when they were like a little bit more of the flavor of the month. They they have the potential of a underdog playoff hockey team. We're, we're like, you know, in, in hockey when like the goalie gets hot and then all of a sudden the sixth seed is just like cruising to the cup. I don't think that's going to yeah. happen to the, to the Hawks, but there is something. That's kind of what Trey is. But there is something about their shooting when it's all clicking. And if he can get that going and get the driving kick going and have that threat of the Collins lob always there. The Sixers ran into it, as, as did the Knicks, where it's just like, wow, it's really hard to guard Trey and three or four shooters surrounding him if Danilo and a bunch of guys get get hot it is kind of like oh you gotta have a guy between the sticks and then you never know what can happen it's like if you can shoot your asses off in the NBA playoffs like you might get out of the first round maybe deep into the to the second yeah I I, I love that metaphor for trade I think that's exactly how I think about him it's like they're the 10th seed and I'm not exactly like hey you guys are awesome but if they end up being like like, who really wants to play them in the first round, you know? So the Sixers are an interesting case of where what you're talking about here. Obviously, Embiid's been in the MVP conversation a lot. And I think a, much of his case has been boiled down to two things. One, everybody loves to see incremental but obvious improvements in players. Like, this mm. is something that LeBron taught us to look for is, like, did you go somewhere this summer and get in the lab and add or something to your season. game. Yeah. And we're over the course of the regular season. And as no, I just the, mean it's Miami sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> as the season went on for Embiid, I think the the playmaking, the ability to basically run the on- offense and his quickness with passing out of doubles and like recognizing, you know, what where the where the ball needed to be besides with him in a given moment was really key. Then Harden comes along. And in just the three-game sample size that we have so far, they seem to be almost two sides of one brain when it's out there on the offense. And, you know, it's been kind of fascinating. I was looking at a bunch of, like, the super teams, quote-unquote, to see, like, were any of these teams, like, heliocentric in the way that you're talking about? Like, were the KD Warriors that way or were, were, were the Heat that way? Were the Nets at their in their 16 games together? <laughs> did the Nets ever kind of feel that way? I think they did with Harden to some extent. But watching the Sixers, it's like it's like a two-man son with three players always looking to be in the right space. It's like Danny Green is setting up in the corner and Tobias is setting up on the arc and Maxi is looking for a slash. I know that they're already introducing some D'Antoni concepts into the Doc offense. Like there's already been some of the Harden coming off like a pin down and like getting a handoff from Embiid and just getting downhill and Embiid can pop or Embiid can roll or Embiid can just kind of like do it. There's so much stuff that can come out of that simple action. But once it happens, so much shit goes on. Like it's, it's, it is kind of, and I've, I honestly, like this has been remarked upon, but the Sixers have not had a creative perimeter player like this in 20 years since Iverson. And Iverson also didn't pass all that much, you know, like, so it was, it's been kind of remarkable to watch somebody dribble and uh, shoot. <laughs> And pass this well. Do you feel like Allen Iverson and uh ooh, by the way, answer. Um and Iguadala have basically combined into this player for you guys? That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. 
but like also Johnny Dawkins. Like he's also able to just like run the offense in a really like smart way. So it's been it's been pretty remarkable. Who else do we want to talk about with this kind of this MVP race, but also this idea of whether or not there's a best player? Before we go away from the Sixers, I think it's like it, it would be good to like talk about why this is just a good thing for a championship level team, right? The fact that Tyrese Maxey and, and Harden are playing so well together. That to me is like obviously something that you would kind of like think about going in. Like, you know, you're going to have a guy who is normally a point guard coming in and, you know, your your best young player is also a point guard. And also, you know, I, I, I have to talk about this. The fact that we can just afford to play Matisse Seibel all the minutes in the world right now yes. is just... Is just the best. And that is a hardened outgrowth too. I kind of figured that would happen with what was what they were able to do with Bruce Brown and in Brooklyn. Just the amount of spacing that, that Thibel now has too. It just it it brings them up another level defensively because like you just know that yeah, there'll be a team in the playoffs that finds a way to exploit the fact that he's on the floor, but if he's cutting and you've got like a smartest pat a passer and playmaker is hearted, it's just not gonna feel the same way anymore. And that's that's exciting and fun for, for everyone, I think. Anybody who likes basketball. Um, especially <laughs> me personally. <laughs> so before before this trade, Luca and Embiid this season would have been top ten all time in usage. And they both would wow. have gone they both would have gone up. And I don't think we've had a single season where we've had two guys in the top 10. Um, and you know, obviously, like Harden's always kind of been up there too. His, oh yeah, that's what it was. His 2018, 20, uh, 2019 season, the last one was his, uh, he, was, he was second all time in usage. Number one all time was the uh, Russell Westbrook Vanity Project. In, uh, I'm sorry, I meant the MVP season. Honestly, can I just say something? That yeah. season was cool. I I think that people sure. people talk about it like it was his solo album, and that he was just like it playing was. sax solos the entire season. Sure, they won the exact same amount of games that they were supposed to win. <laughs> I'm serious. Their over under was the exact same, and we went to like by the end of the season, it was like he has carried them. Like they they went to the Western Conference. They were one game away from the finals the season before. Anyways. <laughs> I'm really such a stickler about the basketball that I like, but essentially, like what what we do see with these these guys at the top, we also have have Jordan number five and his uh, eighty seven season, and then we also have AI in two thousand, and you know, and basically, like you have these incredible individual seasons, but you don't have a championship with them, and that's kind of what I think is going to be the interesting thing to see, especially with uh, like the the Sixers solved it, but the Mavericks also made a trade and I think they're now trying this is kind of like their next step in figuring out how to maximize Luca, and it's definitely working but at the same time like that's kind of the thing that they have to watch out for as well is like you love the fact that he exists and he's you know Luka Doncic but you don't like how much of him do you want to go to essentially I saw when they made that Chris Depps trade and people were kind of saying like well these are two smaller contracts like years wise uh, with Bertans and Dinwiddie and and like you know it's not it's not that immovable object that the Kristaps trade the Kristaps deal seems to be in so this is about like creating longer term flexibility to find somebody else to bring in with Luca but there's like a little bit of like a Tyloo Clippers vibe to the Mavericks right now mm-hmm. where I feel like they have honestly like changed the identity of their team to like this Luca and the shooters model yeah. that really, really, really works. And there isn't that Chris Stapp's floor spacing issue of people not mm-hmm. necessarily respecting his three and, you know, him not necessarily having the toughness that he used to in, in the interior. I think that the Mavericks are like 
talk about hockey goalie dangerous, like they are hockey goalie dangerous. They remind me of last year's Hawks. Yes. And I don't know how far they can take it. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like the Warriors and like when Draymond comes back and when Chris Paul comes back and how for real the Jazz are and, you know, all that stuff, all, all that aside. Like the Mavericks are terrifying right now because I think mm-hmm. they could beat any team. Now, whether they can sustain it over a seven game series, I really I don't know. It's going to be the next big test for Luca. And I think for everything that Luca has going for him to be the quote unquote face of the league and maybe to be the person who inherits the LeBron, Jordan, Kobe kind of level of, of stardom within the league, he's got to kind of obviously do it in the postseason to a to a greater extent than he has so far. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could really just come down to how hot their shooters get. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think that's going to be a big part of it. And so they, they have now won in the last seven games. They've lost to the Jazz. They beat the Lakers, which I guess doesn't actually really Matter. mean much. But yeah. um, they, they beat the Warriors. The Warriors didn't have uh, Draymond. And I think that's, like, that's pretty huge. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Sir, you know, the one person we haven't really talked about, and he kind of looms over this discussion in a lot of ways, is Giannis, defending NBA champion, MVP winner. And I think also, like, the person along with Luca, who probably has a lot of potential to become the next face of the league and the next like presumptive best player unless otherwise notified. What, how are you feeling about where the Bucks are at and specifically where he's at this season? Well, I think like almost everybody on this list, Giannis has made incremental improvements, but he's the one guy where his incremental improvements could actually just be incredibly explosive uh, because of what they are. He's an improved mid-range shooter this season. He's His inside mid-range game is probably the most impressive and I think relevant thing that has improved because you can't really build a wall up against him anymore. He'll just kind of get within nine feet and shoot over you, and he can shoot over pretty much anybody. Uh, career-high six assists, 
and he's with Lopez out he's been asked to do more defensively play a kind of different style of defense be like a little bit more of a rim protector um and they've had injuries and you know like he should probably be the MVP in my opinion um it's to me it's either him or Jokic we can flip a coin on those guys but yeah, like in the regular season, they have needed him more this season. And their offense actually like kind of craters without him this season. That's a big difference from last season as well. And that's that is probably somewhat due to the injuries as well. Like, you know, you just don't have that depth coming off the bench anymore. So it's situational. Like I don't really worry about the Bucks long term that much. Like even if they don't get Lopez, I think Portis has grown enough and their defense is versatile enough that they can make up for it. Uh, but yeah, like just another guy who is, he's very much not necessarily like the playmaking hub, mm-hmm. but is also just like the second the ball is in his hands and he's, he's dribbling down the court, like just attracts all of the attention in the world. Right. right. So a little bit more in that, like you said, unicorns earlier, right? Like he's like the, the unicorn slash like heliocentric hybrid weird thing that is is happening <laughs> does the league need at this point a singular like king arthur like figure or do you think that the league is healthy enough and dispersed talent wise enough that you can have a little bit more of a wide range of stars and it doesn't need to be like boy i hope lebron goes to the finals this season because otherwise no one's gonna watch kind of thing you know it because it, 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 i do feel like that's the mantle that 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 gets put on guys mm-hmm. where it's like you are uh, you're basically the main box office draw and to some extent i think steph is that right now like steph mm-hmm. and lebron are that still but whether or not Giannis and luca jaw you know jaw have 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 the potential to become that man like that that's a that's a tough question i don't know because we haven't really experienced this before right like i think for for you and i just getting to watch all these awesome players on a on a nightly basis is is amazing but there isn't necessarily somebody who sticks out i usually just go towards like what people around me say when it comes to these conversations yeah um and the two things that i've noticed is that when i ask like some of my friends who like don't necessarily watch basketball about like or really watch sports um about like hey do you know who this guy is or do you know who that guy is like there's i've never heard no as often and I think that's probably one of the things that makes it that, that that could be a challenge where you don't necessarily know as a league or even like as media, like who sh- like like as we have this episode, right? Like who should we actually be focusing on? Right. And like there's also players that are a little bit more low key as well. Like they're not going to know who Nikola Jokic is or they might not even like before he won the finals, weren't really going to know who Giannis was either. And Kevin Durant is another guy who is. For now, he's now in the last few years not as much, but was also like a very low key superstar. Demar, Demar Derozan as well. So we have a lot of guys that are really good that might not necessarily become like household names because there's almost just like too many of them. I don't know what that means though. I guess like that we kind of have to see that play out. And like at the end of the day, it turns into we just have all of these matchups like that in the playoffs. That by the second round, it just becomes must watch. Mm-hmm. I think that can be really cool, but. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know. What do you think? I often do cross-sport comparisons, and I think that the NFL is fine. You know, the NFL mm-hmm. lived without Peyton Manning. The NFL is, is going on without Drew Brees. It'll go on without Tom Brady. I think that there is a degree of, like, casual box office appeal that maybe you lose when you don't have somebody that 
most people, if you ask them, if they show them a picture of Tom Brady, they'd be like, that's Tom Brady. He used to play yeah. for the Patriots. I think he's still playing. Like that, that would be my mom's reaction at 80 years old. My mom doesn't know who Job Moran is, obviously. But like, I think in general, like, it's probably cool for the league to go through a period of time where eight different teams could win the finals and 10 different guys could be in contention for an MVP slash be the face of the league. And, you know, you mentioned Durant, which we did barely mentioned this entire podcast, partially because he's been injured, partially because this net season has been so, mm-hmm. so bizarre. He's not necessarily a heliocentric guy either, though. No, he's not necessarily heliocentric. And I think that that <laughs> I wonder whether or not James Harden noted that on the way out the door. It was like, I don't actually like playing off of somebody who is like my job is to score the basketball ultimately you know like maybe he Mm -hmm. wants to have like a little bit more of a of a different kind of system going but you know I think Durant in that buck series was was like you could make him the logo of the NBA watching him play that buck series last season you know like that was among the best like individual basketball performances and runs that I've ever seen in my life it's just you're right he has a kind of lower key demeanor I think his the way he talks about things where he'll be like, it's about hoops and it's almost like this aesthetic pursuit for him and like putting himself in like a perfect basketball situation rather than mm-hmm. dragging a team over the, over the mountaintop the way like we kind of usually talk about like players who bring a championship to their, to their clubs. It, it's, it's an interesting conversation. I'm sure we'll know more about it at the end of the season once we see who's actually crowned champs. Yeah. Before we get out of here, because this question has been ringing in my ear pretty much since you brought it up at the start of the podcast. You said basically that there were certain guys that you would say like, hey, if you want to know about the NBA right now, Bird versus Magic or it's Michael Jordan or it's LeBron James. If you wanted to talk to somebody right now and say like, here's how you figure out what the NBA is all about. Watch this guy or watch these guys what like what would you say i would still say steph not only for the obvious entertainment that he provides on a night-to-night basis and his like awareness of his role as like i'm why all these people came to this arena or are tuning in tonight Mm -hmm. is like the possibility that i might just pull up from the logo here and i also think that the way basketball has changed since the warriors the advent of the warriors um well you know it has a lot to do with mori ball and it has a lot to do with spacing and it has a lot to do with the lack of like strong positionality like I'd still say like the Warriors are how I would explain basketball over like the last 10 years. What about you? That would have been my answer even like two months ago, right? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we're heading into an era where that could be changing. We don't necessarily know the answer to that question. Like just watching them last night, Steph had zero points in the fourth quarter. A lot of that obviously has to do with the fact that Draymond is out. And they were also like, they were were just doing other stuff. And the Dallas defense was really good too. But, you know, the Warriors... We criticized them last year for not necessarily being in, like as intentional as they could be about getting their getting step shots, and it was kind of a conversation about getting superstar shots when when KD was on mm-hmm. the team too. Flash forward and sticking to the principles of that system ended up allowing a lot of their role players to be able to understand it, and they were firing off all cylinders when they were healthy. So I get it, but I also wonder with the Warriors right now, like they are not the same juggernaut that they used to be where they can just be as blase about these things as they are. Like they are only one game behind the Grizzlies right now. Yeah, and that I would know. put them in the, at the three seed. And I just wonder if we're going to see some changes or if maybe like, I don't know if there should be changes. It's definitely, it's a question that I, I'm a little bit more wary about immediately being like, no, just get Steph the ball more than I was 
you know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious to see where they go from here because, I mean, it's not an emergency to go from the two th- seed to, to the three seed, but also, like, you don't necessarily want it either. <laughs> Something changed, though. And I think part of, part of it is obviously Draymond not being in. Part of it is Clay causing, like, a ripple effect onto Wiggins' game a little bit. I think Jordan Poole's come down to earth a little bit. Like, there's obviously been, like, this chain reaction on that team with Draymond's absence and Clay's return that mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're out of time to figure it out. And obviously if Draymond comes back, like everything could get solved in a lot of ways. I do also wonder whether or not we're going to start to hear you guys should have traded Wiseman and Moody and you guys, you should have, you should have gone all in yeah. on this, on this iteration of the team and not kept Kaminga, Moody and Wiseman on your books for this, like, this bridge to the future that Joe Lacob sees. So it'll be, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see if that, that chatter comes back up. I just wonder if, if, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen with Draymond. Like he, he traveled with them on the road, but his, his uh, timetable is still like, they're not really putting anything on it. That could just be the way they're deciding to deal with it. This is one of those weird X factor seasons too, where it's just like Draymond, Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, Paul George. Like there's a couple of like, if he comes back, we don't really know like what what could, what's going to happen, you know, or when they come back, we don't know what's going to happen. Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but if you don't know, then it's like, well, I don't know. Like, do you do you start planning for like a potential playoff run without him? I don't know. I mean, like, every, I I understand Chris Chris Paul seems to be the so- most solid. Like you can book that return, like it's just yeah. a hand injury, and he's going to come back at the end of the regular season. Everybody else seems to be like Simmons is week to week. Draymond's calf and back are really tough. Uh, I don't know what's up. Like Murray blew his knee out, so I don't know when he's coming back. Like it's it's going to be like a a very interesting close to the regular season, beginning of the playoffs. If you've got a several all-star level players coming back to work yeah and i guess the playoffs and also this MVP race and like these questions they. It's weird to hit March and have them all be such an unknown. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad we dug into some of it. Me too. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, thank you so much to Chris Sutton for producing us. You can listen to the Ringer NBA show pretty much five days a week. And we've also got Mismatch, Ryan, and Bill. So check it all out. We'll talk to you Friday.